for future economic trends. This is BizTalk. Hello and welcome to this edition of BizTalk. Today we're going to discuss where the China-U.S. relationship is heading in the new year amid post-recovery of the world economy and how to manage rising tensions in tech competition between the two sides and how to enhance understanding of China's recent tech clash. To delve into these issues, it's our honor and pleasure to be joined by two world-renowned economists from the two countries. Professor Lauren Summers, former Treasury Secretary of the United States and President Emeritus of Harvard University, welcome. And Fred Hu, founder, chairman and CEO of Primavera Capital and a former chair for Greater China and Goldman Sachs, welcome to the show and thank you both for your time today, gentlemen. U.S. inflation ended 2021 with the rate soaring to its highest level in over 40 years, up 7% in just a year. The numbers driving household expenses while keeping pressure on President Biden and the Federal Reserve to address what has become the most serious danger to the U.S. economy. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell stressed that rising inflation posed a severe threat to the labor market recovery. He also reaffirmed the central bank's determination to gradually withdraw its monetary policy support. However, inflation in the U.S. is still on the rise. So before we get down to China-U.S. relations, I have to ask about inflation because we're now at a tipping point that the U.S. is pivoting its policies, which could send ripples across the world economy. So, Professor Summers, you correctly warned of U.S. macroeconomic policies leading to the inflation very early. Now, what is your assessment of the situation? I think we've got real inflation risks in uh, the United States. Uh, we have a very strong uh, economy. We have a record level of job vacancies. Workers are leaving firms at very rapid rates to seek opportunities uh, elsewhere. Labor shortages seem uh, pervasive. And at the same time, we've got a relatively rapid underlying rate of inflation with the CPI up 6.8% over the last year. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we have extraordinarily easy monetary policy with real interest rates looking extremely low over almost every horizon. So I think barring some policy adjustment, we're in real danger of having accelerating inflation. The challenge for policy will be to moderate inflation without doing damage to the rate of economic uh, growth without uh, inducing a recession. And that's gonna be a very difficult and delicate balancing act, especially in light of the fact that asset prices are at very, very high levels uh, at uh, this point. This is a consequence of the tremendous level of stimulus that we infused into the economy last year even as the process of recovery was beginning. What's the chance do you see for a recession? We'll avoid recession uh, this year, but I think that's a very, very strong chance. But I think the chance is perhaps 40% of a wow. recession beginning sometime over the next uh, two years. Well, Dr. Hu, the U.S. dollar is a major international uh, currency. How will high U.S. inflation and a possible recession um, affect global economy, capital flow, and your investment decisions? Rising U.S. inflation uh, clearly has major implications uh, for the global economy and the financial markets. It would um, likely reduce demand for fixed income securities, 
such as uh, unindexed government bonds and investment grade corporate bonds, although it would like increase demand for riskier high yield bonds, stocks generally offer some uh, hedging against the inflation. But it is question mark how well U.S. equities would perform in an inflationary environment where the Fed is poised to hike rates mm -hmm. and the U.S. equities are already at um, elevated the levels of valuation by historic standards, just as pointed out by Larry. In general, real assets such as commodities and real estate might uh, potentially outperform. We're really seeing some new reality for uh, global investment. And now let's turn to the relationship between the world's two largest economies. Despite rising tensions on political front, I think it's safe to say there remains a deep interdependence between uh, Chinese and American economies. So, Professor Summers, what is your observation of the changing China-U.S. relations and the future of economic ties between the two sides? I'm concerned that for domestic political reasons, the tensions between our two countries are being um, talked up by many political figures mm -hmm. in uh, both countries. I think the reality is that the United States and China do have very different economic systems, but I also think that they share a common world. They share a common planet in terms of the issue of climate change. They share a common biosphere in terms of the issue of pandemic. They share a common heritage of natural resources and commodities and scarce commodities that have to be used uh, prudently. Mm -hmm. They share a common interest in a world that is uh, uh, stable and in a world that is generally prospering and in which all are able uh, to trade, those mutual uh, interests would be seen as more important than issues of uh, local prerogative or issues of specific competition. And I think if that kind of focus on where the deepest long-run interests lie, rather than on trying to convert each other or trying to score points off each other, very substantial uh, progress uh, can uh, be made. Right. Well, China and the U.S. really need to uh, find a way forward to for more cooperation on common challenges. And um, Professor Summers, Pre President Biden said at a virtual meeting with President Xi last November that their responsibilities was to ensure that competition does not veer into conflict. Is there a viable relationship to manage strategic competition? I would hope uh, that uh, there would be. I think it will require a willingness to sit and discuss separate issues separately. I'm very disturbed that by many accounts, the level of cooperation between our two countries with respect to potential virus threats 
has actually declined over the last uh, two or three years. I don't think it is or should be the legitimate aspiration of uh, the United States to prevent China from emerging as a global power, given its tremendous economic achievements. Mm -hmm. I recognize that as uh, Chinese uh, leader Xi Jinping said uh, some years ago, that there's a need for a different kind of uh, great power relationship. I certainly don't think uh, the Cold War is an attractive model for the relationship between our two uh, countries. But I do think uh, that there needs to be a recognition of uh, values that are important on uh, both sides. Coming up next, in December 2021, the U.S. government imposed sanctions against over 30 Chinese technology businesses and research institutes. Tensions rose between the world's two largest economies as a result. Stopping Chinese companies from listing on U.S. exchanges can be a lose-lose proposition. And what may be the consequences of tightening restrictions on Chinese tech firms? China would have to redouble its own R&D, eventually displace U.S. in the global markets. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China, and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports, and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. The U.S. blacklisted eight Chinese companies in December 2021, including drone maker DJI and AI giant SenseTime. As a result, American investors will be prohibited from purchasing or selling shares in the companies. That's while the firms will also be restricted from purchasing American products or importing American technology without a special license. Several Chinese tech businesses, including Huawei and TikTok, have been curbed by the U.S., with actions including blocking local supplies and forcing them to delist from U.S. stock markets. Tensions ratcheted up further between the world's top economies. Tech competition uh, is heating up, and many tech companies are caught in the middle of China-U.S. tensions. The U.S. put more Chinese companies on the investment ban in December, citing various reasons from military background to human rights abuses that these companies strongly reject. Meanwhile, China accuses the U.S. for politically suppressing these companies and violating free market rules. So, Dr. Hu, what's behind such mistrust? What do you think about the possibility of decoupling, particularly in the tech sector? Well, I do worry about the the rising risk of uh, decoupling, uh, largely driven by uh, politics. Chinese tech companies to delist from U.S. stock exchange would not serve U.S. interests. Yes, the Chinese tech companies would be hurt, but many U.S. investors would be also hurt in the process because investing in uh, those shares have been a viable uh, way uh, for U.S. investors to access to and benefit from 
China's growth uh, opportunities all these years. Chinese com companies, of course, are not without the options. Uh, they could uh, return home markets like here in Hong Kong uh, or Shanghai. Um, but I would hope both sides would let the cooler heads prevail. Just sit down and talk. And I see a big room to work out a practical uh, agreement uh, to address legitimate uh, U.S. concerns while awaiting a lose-lose outcome uh, for both sides. People fail to recognize uh, there's very high dependency on each other, you know, between the world's uh, two largest tech ecosystems. For example, U.S. controls 70% semiconductors and 90% of software uh, Chinese companies use, while China is responsible for more than 50% of global uh, IT gadgets and IT supply chains, 70% of the EV batteries in the world. So both countries would be better off if they trade with each other and free the access the tech products and services provided by each other. As this increasing tendency by Washington to uh, impose uh, various forms of sanctions, whether it's anti-list, outright bans, sanctions, and not just against Huawei, but increasingly against virtually every successful Chinese tech company. That would uh, tell the Chinese tech leaders, U.S. is a completely unreliable trade and technology partner. So what will happen? You know, you might call it China's Sputnik moment. So over mm -hmm. the medium long term, China would uh, innovate, mm -hmm. be not just because China wants to go alone, but is left with no choice. China would have to redouble its own R&D and develop indigenous technologies to substitute at the minimum, to substitute for US ones in the domestic market. And if successful, eventually displace US in the global markets. So that's not come, you know, not necessarily favorable for both countries. And Professor Samas, do you also see more risks of decoupling between the two sides? Stopping Chinese companies from listing on U.S. exchanges can be a lose-lose proposition. On the other hand, U.S. exchanges have certain standards with respect to financial reporting. And when those standards are not met, I think those standards should be applied in the same way to countries, companies from every country. So I think we need to find um, a balance. You know, 20 years ago, it was reasonable for China to think of itself as a poor country that sought to import the world's knowledge and lever the world's knowledge to catch up. At a time when China has the kind of enormously successful technology companies that the Alibabas and the, the Tencents represent, I think the understandings have to be somewhat different in terms of fair play, in terms of reciprocity, 
in terms of the rules uh, governing uh, technological interaction. Coming up next, China is pursuing a common prosperity drive as a means of advancing its growth. What does this drive imply for the residents? The emphasis is on creating equal opportunity for the broadest segment of population possible. What does an ideal model of government look like? Government by the people can be effective government for the people. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get on our wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa talk. Find us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. Economists say China's key task for 2022 is to mirror the core agenda of common prosperity. It signals an intention to reduce economic inequality by narrowing the country's doubly large gap between rich and poor. Already, several policy initiatives have been launched under the Common Prosperity banner. They include reforms in the banking sector, the restructuring of local government debt, anti-monopoly measures against the big tech, and an attempt to deflate the real estate bubble. At the 2022 World Economic Forum virtual session on January 17th, Chinese President Xi Jinping said that China's common prosperity drive is in pursuit of egalitarianism. To use an analogy, we will first make the pie bigger, and then divide it properly through reasonable institutional arrangements. Now let's talk a bit more about China's policy outlook. Uh, Dr. Hu, many China observers have noticed the big implications of common prosperity plan. I'm sure you're also looking closely at how China is calibrating its policies guided by this concept. So from your observation, is it more like a correction of its policy path or a change of direction? Uh, to me, uh, common prosperity means inclusive growth and building a very larger middle class. Hence, a quite attractive policy vision for China going forward. Now that our country has succeeded in eliminating poverty. So I, I take great comfort uh, with the assurance that there's no intention to rob the rich, to help the poor. Mm -hmm. China is not relying on purely redistributive policies. Rather, the emphasis is on creating equal opportunities for the broadest segment of population possible with equal access to education, healthcare, social safety net. That way, Chinese people continue to be incentivized to embrace entrepreneurship and innovation while the fruits of economic growth, the possibility 
can be more widely and equally shared, hence uh, more socially sustainable. Would you like to receive the latest news updates about China and the rest of the globe? Tune in to the Beijing Hour every weekday for the latest in politics, business, sports, and entertainment from a Chinese perspective. Subscribe to the Beijing Hour for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Twenty-five hundred years ago, an old man rode on his buffalo and headed west of China. Before he vanished into the wild, he left behind a book of five thousand words, which, for the next two and a half millennia, would have shaped the Chinese way of thinking. Subscribe to the sayings of Lao Tzu and find out why generals with wisdom yield after winning the ultimate battle, and how staying behind just might help you get ahead of others. The Sayings of Lao Tzu is available on all major podcast platforms. And President Biden expressed views that China is challenging the U.S. with this model, and he suggests a task for his government to prove that the American model of capitalism works better. What is your view on that? I think we all want to see as much prosperity for our people、uh, as we can. I would rather see. The greatest power of America come from its example, and I think we need to strengthen that example. We need to strengthen that example by showing that more effectively than has often been the case in recent years, government by the people can be effective government for the people,、mm-hmm. and that's why I think、uh, issues ranging from the universalization of、uh, healthcare. To the protection of、uh, privacy, from assuring economic、uh, security to developing cutting-edge、uh, vaccines, I think all of these are crucial、uh, issues. I think ultimately, the greatest power that the United States can have can uh, come uh, from uh, its example. And、uh, its demonstration of what its principles can mean in terms of opportunity for the people who live here. So, analysts say the tech clash in China and the U.S. will set the stage for next phase of competition.、Uh, Professor Summers, I know you are a pro of deregulation. Do you agree with China's economic model to have more government intervention to prevent market failure? I think there's going to need to be substantial new regulation. To deal with the new issues that tech poses,、mm-hmm. whether it's the addictive character、uh, that some technologies can have, whether it's the impact on young people, whether it's the questions of the propagation of false、uh, statements, whether it's the capacity of foreign governments to subvert、uh, national objectives, I feel very strongly that in the United States. We're going to need new and enhanced regulatory frameworks for our major technology companies, and I know there are similar feelings in China, and I、right. agree with that.、Mm-hmm. I think that the questions that where there's likely to be differences of perspective are likely to involve、uh, 
how much one wants to encourage open expression where values of community versus values of individuality perhaps are given different priority. Mm -hmm. But I certainly think that the idea that major tech companies will need enhanced regulation. China has announced high-profile cybersecurity review measures after years of loose regulatory environment that had effectively supported a world-leading internet company covering e-commerce, ride-hailing, fintech, and sharing businesses. The new regulations go into effect on February 15th and include a review of data-rich enterprises pursuing international initial public offerings as well as new limits on algorithm recommendation services. Meanwhile, U.S. Senate panel approved a bill targeting big tech companies like Amazon, Apple and Google on January 20th, despite facing a tough fight in Congress. Many huge lawmakers pressing a series of bills. Some lawmakers are making last-ditch efforts to curb monopoly. Well, a lot of uh, American people are worried that its tech sector cannot compete with China with strong government intervention. So, Dr. Hu, how would you compare the two economic governance system? Uh, do you think it's unfair? Well, you know, if you compare the U.S.-Chinese uh, economic system, it is just abundantly clear that the U.S. has the world's most dynamic, most efficient, and innovative private sector, including the technology sector. But the government sector in the U.S. tends to be laden with political gridlocks, and the bureaucratic inefficiencies. By contrast, the Chinese state, both central and the local level governments, faces far less checks and balances and enjoys far more executive power and administrative capacity than the U.S. counterparts. Therefore, the Chinese state has a proven ability and a pretty strong track record in getting things down. Uh, US and, and China were clearly fundamentally different 40 years ago. But now the two systems are more similar mm -hmm. than dissimilar. Both China and the US can be called a modern uh, mixed economy as first advocated by John Mellon and Keynes. So, you know, instead of confronting each other or worse, trying to undermine each other, perhaps each country could learn from each other's experiences, adapt some of the best elements in, in, in the system and partner with each other to make both countries better off. Mm -hmm. And together, US and China have the ability to make the world better off. Well said. We have to leave it there. Thanks again for sharing with us, Professor Lauren Summers, former Treasury Secretary of the United States and President Emeritus of Harvard University, and Fred Hu, founder, chairman, and CEO of Primavera Capital, and a former chair for Greater China and Goldman Sachs. We really appreciate it. And that's all for this edition of Biz Talk on CGTN. I'm Guan Xing in Beijing. Thanks for being with us. Until next time, bye for now.